What's good, everybody? Welcome back to the Black Man Unlearning Podcast. I'm your co-host, Kyle Brooks. And I'm your co-host, Edwin Lee. And today we are tackling a topic that is very important for the lives and livelihood of all people, but particularly for Black men in our discussion today. And we are talking about the idea of how we care for our health. Health is wealth. And as Edwin and I were chopping it up and thinking about this episode, you know, it, was, it became clear for us just how many ways we have to navigate various challenges in our lives in order to be well, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, and in so many ways, um, particularly African-American men have tremendous vulnerabilities when it comes to our health, uh, tremendous risk factors for various diseases and conditions. And it is not a pretty picture. And so as two black men who are trying to be conscientious about how we live well in a holistic way, how we live well in all the facets of our lives. Uh, we realize that having a frank and honest conversation about health and how we care for it, how we maintain it, uh, is absolutely essential for how we go about our lives and how we're able to uh, have a way of uh being a way of of doing that uh enables us to have a quality life we don't want to just exist we don't want to just survive we don't want to just make it by or scrape by so that's going to be our conversation today and just exploring the ways that we can be honest about our vulnerabilities and also be helpful to one another in tackling this the interconnectedness you talked about health in a lot of different contexts whether it's mental emotional spiritual uh and physical uh, the interconnectedness of all of those is something that strikes me and i i think um in our in our common conversation what might be referred to as common sense we we understand that those things are connected I don't think that we understand that the level of vulnerability that is required to make sure that we are operating healthily in community. Um, so much about the way we approach health is individualized. And we, we think about it in the context of personal responsibility uh, that we should eat better and exercise more and that that is the responsibility of every person um, to make sure that they're doing well enough. But I think that when we really take an honest look at the types of health issues that we see in our communities, among our friend groups and in our families, we can come to the realization that, that, that you know, the way that we eat, the things that we can control by just our individual actions are not the only factors that contribute to the health issues that we see. Um, I've known seemingly 
healthy folks who have had heart complications or folks who are have a, a family history of heart disease or high blood pressure that doesn't really have anything to do with the way that they're they're uh, eating or the way that they're actually doing what is commonly recommended as you know healthy practices it doesn't really have much to do with that as it does to do with genetics and if we think about even the the details of our lives the factors that are out of our control that affect us whether it's where we work uh the stress under which uh we work like living in a capitalist and racist society like all of these different things uh add to uh the burden of making sure to take care of ourselves mm -hmm. ultimately like that's a significantly um challenging barrier for us to just navigate on our own and and there's there's too much kind of hand waving that's associated with what it means to be healthy uh which pushes us into some unhealthy places some unhealthy practices i think Fat phobia is very much uh, associated around this idea of personal responsibility and how you're responsible for, for you know, taking care of your body in better ways. And what we what we find if we actually do uh, look at what experts say, there's not as much connection to, you know, fatness and then being uh, more prone to sickness, right? There's, there's so much more that's built into this. And if we just think of it in, in, in as in terms of individual responsibility, we're missing the boat. Yeah, so much of this is systemic and structural. So, for instance, we could think about realities such as the fact that in the United States, two thirds of people who file for bankruptcy cite medical issues as a key factor for their financial downfall. So something on the degree of like 67% of people who go bankrupt in the US, it's because of medical problems, because of the fact that uh, either they may not have healthcare and like many of us are one major emergency away from being in tremendous debt. Talk about it. Uh, and which is a whole nother thing in and of itself that even those who are doing okay, quote unquote, are still in a very precarious position. Um, the, um, you know, research shows that the Affordable Care Act um, has not tremendously improved uh, the ways that folks uh, outcomes work in terms of health care and bankruptcy. Um, a lot of people don't even realize, and this is if you're fortunate enough to have health care which unfortunately too often in this country is tied to having a job, which is a whole another, once again, a matter of this idea of individual responsibility. It's up to you to get a job. It's up to you to get healthcare. It's up to you to know where you're covered and where you're not covered. Uh, and even people who are fortunate enough to be in that position, uh, health insurance often is not enough to protect them. It doesn't cover a lot of critical things. And that's, you know, without even dealing with the politics of how healthcare uh, providers are operating and working with or against hospital systems and uh, medical care providers. And it's a, it's a really messy kind of situation that we're asked as individuals to manage and figure out 
and basically get a pat on the back and say, well, good luck. Don't die. Right. <laughs> make, make a way where you can. And the fact is trying to manage all of that stuff, even when you have resources, can be so tiresome and draining, much less if you're working a lot, if you have uh, other family members for whom you're providing care, um, if you have so many other responsibilities, if you're already strained to the max economically, there's just no, there's no give, there's no room. So all of that to say that as you, as you, you rightly, uh, rightly named, all of these emphases on individual responsibility ultimately become a way of sidestepping the responsibility of communal care. People quite often don't want to make their neighbor's life and livelihood and well-being their business. So what do we even mean by being in communities anymore? Like what what is what does our Man. life together mean if our general attitude is I don't want to have to care for you or anyone else outside of myself. Or I don't want you in my business. And, and so this is the thing, like we're not yeah. we're not healthcare professionals. Like neither of us have any kind of professional background uh in in healthcare provision, right? So um a lot of this is based off of what we can glean from folks that we're in community with what we may you know read about and ask questions about but ultimately like we're we're laymen when it comes to the most like intricate details of uh taking care of ourselves and so i would probably place us on the the higher well the the we're, we're probably above average in terms of the things that we know and the information that we have access to. Um, and so in that way, it's hard for us to expect folks to know what to do and know uh, what is sensible if we're just relying on common sense as an idea. It's it the, Common sense doesn't mean anything in this context, right? So for example, we were talking about the idea of like when you turn 40, you should start getting regular colonoscopies as a as a I think just folks in general that's the that's the general rule um but if you're in a high risk group and I think black men are at high risk there's some talk about how it should be earlier than 40 but the 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 common sense metric is 40 years old but you have folks who are having you know colorectal issues uh, cancers and such like that before they turn 40. So how do you, how do you navigate a system that gives you rules of thumb that aren't even necessarily accurate for the group or the demographic that in which you find yourself, right? Um, how, how do we navigate working through knowing when we should, you know, go see a doctor and when we shouldn't? we're probably the we are we are the, the 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 folks that know the most about our own bodies but but knowing when something is nagging you, you should get it checked out and when something is something that you can ignore or where like an issue a pain a, a pull and a discomfort is something that you can just kind of put off that there's no rule of thumb for that right uh i, I was watching the i think it's earthquakes netflix special his comedy special and mm -hmm. as part of the the set that he did, he was talking about how 
any issue that he notices with his body, he goes to the doctor. But even that, as you said, is a privilege that everybody doesn't have. Everybody doesn't have a primary care provider. And if with, mm-hmm. with our country connecting medical insurance to employment, that's something that doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily provided for all of us. And furthermore, every job not giving you benefits. So it's it's not even it's not even a guarantee that working will get you access to being able to see someone on a regular basis that you can build a relationship and a rapport with that understands what has happened to you recently and what's been going on with you and will be able to give you care that is specific to you and the the uh, the history that they have with you. All of this is is very difficult to do if we get into a, a space of feeling like we shouldn't have anybody in our business. Uh, I I certainly have sent uh, a few texts to my line brother, shout out to you, DJ, uh, <laughs> who is a medical doctor uh, saying, hey, this, this, this is a little off. Should I get this checked out? Or asking him questions here and there. And I'm sure that that is annoying as I'll get out to him. <laughs> but um, I think even in that way, like having someone in your life that you can actually reach out to and ask questions, I'm specifically privileged because one of my best friends is a medical doctor. So it's very easy for me to reach out to him, but everybody doesn't have that. So if we don't have a practice of sharing with each other and saying, hey, something feels a little off. What do you think about this? Um, Then we're, we're left to our own devices. And I think we see in our our daily lives that that can have some terrible outcomes it really can um likewise i'm fortunate to have uh, friends who are medical care professionals who you know if something's a little little wonky like i know i can i can ask them questions or you know they're they're knowledgeable in things to say hey you know you should get this checked out and but what also occurs to me is because they are people with whom I have a pre-existing relationship, their relationship to my care is different from someone who doesn't know me, Yeah, from someone who might have some significantly embedded biases towards persons who present as I do, people who present in the kind of body that I do, the kind of uh, comportment, uh, my racial or ethnic makeup, or how they, or rather how they perceive that, what they assume about that. Uh, what they do or don't know about my level of education. Uh, because what I what I am clear about is when there are certain signifiers that I drop, whether it's, oh, where I went to school or what degrees I have or what kind of work I do, I definitely notice the ways that the care being provided shifts, the attitude shifts. Yes. Uh, and that's not to say everything is, is perfect, uh, but it is to say, I'm very aware that there are so many biases at work, even in the the provision of what people think of as objective medical, uh, professional medical care. So these are also those pieces that we're we're having to deal with because it's already like, well, I don't want all these folk in my business. But now that you got to let somebody poke and pry and see about things and and I and I'm, you know, I won't, I won't get too deep into it because I didn't ask to share, you know, details of the story, but I, I was thinking about a particular friend of mine who was going through um, an acute health crisis. And one of the things they talked about was 
just the vulnerability yes. of what it means to have to be bodily exposed like that in order to deal with or to treat or to address whatever is happening with you you've also got to make yourself available to another person's input another person's you know literal hands on your body yeah uh and that you know that can bring up a whole host of things to where if we already struggle with how to be at home in our bodies then how much more is that complicated by then having to let someone be in the position of authority and power for how we take care of these bodies and what happens to them your your point about the 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 difficulty around vulnerability in this context is 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 it's so important right so when we think about taking care of our health it doesn't happen outside of the culture in which we exist there are racist doctors there are folks who like we 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 know that there have been studies done where black folks in an emergency room are seen uh have longer wait times black folks who, who are complaining of chest pains have longer wait times have had longer wait times in the waiting rooms at emergency rooms um and and that their uh heart attacks are treated like they're 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 not the issue that they are and so we have folks dying because they weren't seen because their situation wasn't seen as as uh being as much of an emergency as it was um we certainly know about the um the types of disparities that black women face particularly uh in in childbirth and in um in pregnancy in general and how those numbers are so skewed for black women compared to other uh demographics there's a reason to distrust uh our our healthcare system and so when you when you have those real reasons to distrust it becomes all the more difficult to do the things that are necessary to, to take care of yourself and to to take care of a situation that may be going awry early um we talk about early detection being such an important thing and that's it's very it's 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 scary to think that part of the reason why we don't catch things is because we have these real inherent fears and these valid fears about how we will be treated whether we will be heard um or dismissed i because of my background and who i'm exposed to am really good at communicating with my doctor and asking good questions but i also know from the context of being an educator it's scary to ask questions in that context right i i also know that when when i have an acre of pain that I don't want to be a hypochondriac, but I also want to make sure that I'm exploring whatever I'm feeling so that I'm not missing something that's important. And sometimes there are things that are happening with my body that are scary enough that I have a tendency to be afraid to explore them because I don't want to find out that there's something terrible wrong with me, right? I'm wearing a t-shirt that has Chadwick Boseman on it, right? And so when you think about someone whose life like ends just abruptly um it's it's hard it's hard for us to 
face these things courageously, particularly if we feel that we're alone in facing them. And I think the, um, the expectations, whether imagined or real, that come with our maleness as Black men in being strong and being uh, able to face things, that can be a lot to live up to when you are feeling weak and when you're feeling vulnerable and when you're feeling like your health may be failing you. It's hard to get yourself to a place where you say, I need to go to see the doctor. And I, I think we, we, if we are honest about those fears, it helps us to realize that they are normal and that there are things that can be navigated without losing a sense of self uh, and navigated in ways that protect us and help us to be healthy. For sure, there <clears throat> is something to be said for initiating the hard conversations. And I'm thankful for, you know, the friends of my life who helped push me to be thoughtful and aware of those things. Um, I've got a group of homies who I've known for some years now who helped me to be uh, to be thoughtful and engaged with, hey, you know, your health is a thing that you have to actively participate in. That just you're not just gonna be well by default, but you really gotta be thoughtful about maintenance. And especially as we're aging, the importance of being in tune with what's happening with your body, knowing well enough when something isn't quite right and being able to uh, operate with a sense of, um, you know, not panic, but the right kind of urgency to say, yeah. hey, it's important for me to know and ignorance is not bliss. It does not save us from whatever's going on. It pushes things off. It delays the inevitable. It puts us in positions where we might find that the situation is more dire down yeah. the road. Uh, it makes me think of how uh, in my sort of reading and research, and particularly I, I think often about procrastination and what it means to, to put things off or to delay things or to just not get stuff done. And many people tend to think of it in, in terms of uh, a time management issue. But really, procrastination at the heart is uh, an emotional management issue. Yeah. I'm having to manage how I feel about a thing that I don't want to do. And so when uh, folk, and, and I think particularly thinking here about Black men, when we put off these sorts of critical, critical exams, uh, critical benchmarks, getting our, you know, yearly checkups, that kind of thing, yeah. what we're really dealing with is not just the procrastination of oh well, I can do it another time or I don't have time to do this right now or man my schedule is just so busy xyz but no it's really whoa what happens if I go and I find out something that I didn't know now I've got to reckon with that now I've got to make adjustments to my life I've got to uh, take some measures some steps to be sure that I'm caring for myself in the best way possible. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've, I, I've internalized the, the importance for myself of knowing when 
a thing is more than just, you know, oh, this isn't a minor ache or pain. This ain't necessarily something you just need to uh, take some Tylenol for this and, you know, get some rest, drink some water. But sometimes you just need to, you know, recognize like this complex biological thing we call a body. Uh, man, stuff happens and sometimes in unpredictable ways. And so it's better to, to know and be able to do something about it than to not know and kind of live in this fear that's really grounded in an emotional avoidance of, I don't want to have to add another thing on top of what life already has. Yeah. Yeah. And there's real anxiety that's connected to that, man. Like I certainly, I, I, if I don't want to create a situation where it is minimized, like the, the, the complex emotions that we feel when we're trying to navigate, really finding out how we're doing. Um, it is, it is difficult because of the real circumstances around our lives. I can remember, and we've talked about this before, uh, in grad school, and you know, grad school was such was such like a melancholy time, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, a, a space where uh, depressive episodes, if not depressive depression, excuse me, boy, was very much present with me. And I spent a lot of time during those years thinking about my mortality and thinking about like putting all of this effort in to get this thing done and whether I, you know, was wasting time and the, 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 one of the hard things during my, during my, uh, time in grad school was actually losing someone that uh, was like a peer going through the PhD process at the same time to a health situation that just like it just snuck up and it's like a complete shock and the 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 real danger of this is like these kind of like quick moving situations happen they are very real things and so giving ourselves the space to be honest about like the circumstances around our lives and understanding that it is scary to find, to explore whether we're good or not, uh, particularly in the context of fighting to have the things that we want out of our lives uh, and being present in the, maybe the in-between. We're not quite where we'd like to be. We don't quite uh, have all the markers that we have set for ourselves as uh, being the the clear indicators of success or what have you, and then actually exploring whether or not we're okay. And I think it, it does highlight that there is an underlying belief that at any point we cannot be okay because of all of the circumstances that surround us, the, the circumstances under which we live. But it is uh, really important for us um, to understand that the not knowing is not changing the circumstances for the better. The not knowing is just making it so we can't do anything about it. You you really hit on something and specifically 
the way to like that grad school space, I think is a prime example of what happens when environmental factors begin to shape and impact your health in serious ways. I think about how many folk I knew who, you know, put on significant amounts of weight unintentionally and like in, in ways that were related to coping coping mechanisms or unhealthy patterns yeah yeah or the way that like yeah folk were so many folk were unwell so many folk i knew who left programs uh who dealt with mental mental health issues um i think you know even even and and thinking about this and these particular vulnerabilities I, i think of um you know, my, my friend and classmate who, who recently died, um, my, my friend, Terrence Dean, um, who, um, like me is an ac- academic, um, you know, an artist, a, you know, kind and intelligent, uh, great person. And like all of a sudden, you know, life, life cut short. And I'm like, I think about these instances lately where, and, and I think that one hit home in a particular way. Cause it's like, yeah, you know, it's your classmates, people, people you went through things with, uh, people who knew you in the midst of that struggle and boy, oh boy. Like I think back to things that looking back, I'm like, man, I wish I had treated that more like a job than an all-consuming way of life because let me let me let me talk about how i ain't pulling all-nighters for nothing no more nah i'm not you know like it's like why do it to yourself and i think about how i would be so drained and like my like when i pull those all-nighters my next day would be jacked up like and it was like, hmm, this is maybe not what your body wants you to be doing. This is maybe not what is best for your your mind, your your mental health. But we put ourselves through these things, and 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 often in this idea that, well, okay, if we can just get through this, if we can just get to the other side, and we get into life and realize there's always going to be something. And if we live with this sense of, well, let me sacrifice my well-being in the moment for a later or future or eventual space of well-being it just ain't happening that's not worth it yeah i mean um it it was so uh my 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 peer's name or my friend's name uh yada fisher um passed away while we were in grad school and it i don't i don't think it 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 definitely did not hit home uh all the way for me in terms of how it it changed my behavior like i did not understand how to do things differently it just and and with her like it, it just it was so so fast it was just like one moment you know you 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 see somebody out you're going to happy hour you hanging out having game night or whatever 
you're not thinking about any of like the possibility of not seeing a person again, right? Like people are fixtures. Like you're, you're, um, you know, we're having Saturday writing sessions together, all kinds of things like that. Like these things really can happen in a manner that just, man, it, it is, it is, it is mind boggling. Um, and I think thinking about that time, it just was so grad school was so all consuming and the the culture around it was so much about like put all of yourself into it so that you can just get done and get through it um but i don't think that that's particularly different than the way that we think of our our jobs and our employment in some contexts as well there was a semester in graduate school where i got shingles and it, i'm completely convinced that it was stress that brought it about like that, that doesn't even make sense. And actually there were two other uh, PhD students um, in, that that just are friends of mine that got it within a few months of me. So that just tells you how pervasive just that stressed way of being was at that time. And I, I, cannot, I cannot stress enough how not worth it it was to 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 break myself in order to finish to not to not explore healthy ways of completing the task to sacrifice rest in order to achieve success like those things had a significant cost um and they 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 hurt me and so the lesson that i've taken away is that like it's just not worth it like it's never, it's never worth that. It it really, it really is not worth it. And the 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 challenge is trying to uh, come to that recognition, to that realization within systems and structures that are constantly telling us this is what needs to be done. Yes. Not just that, like, this is an option, but no, this is what you must do. Uh, and the kind of reading and reproduction of, of those, of that cultural imagination that this is the only way to live, or really not even like the way to live. This is the way to hustle and grind and survive, which are also mindsets that just do not contribute to our well-being. Mm -hmm. They're very much capitalist-oriented ways of of supposing that if we aren't being productive all the time and in all ways then we're wasting time we're wasting space we're not worthy we're not valuable yeah and i, I think this too then i think ties into the ways that uh and specifically when i want to i'm thinking about how many black men might internalize the sense of if i'm not useful i'm not valuable mm-hmm if I'm not productive, I'm not valuable. If I'm not employed, if I'm not, uh, you, you know, degreed or educated or well paid in these particular ways, then my life is is not as valuable as meaningful, uh, and folks can justifiably discard me. And that's a scary thing for me because it also contributes to. And, and I remember re reading something on social media uh, where a person talked about how this idea of being hyper independent is really a trauma response. Yeah. 
if you're trying so hard to not be dependent on anyone. And, and sure, we don't necessarily want to be codependent, but we got to be interdependent if we're going to be well, if we're going to make some kind of life that's meaningful and that matters. And I had to accept for myself the ways that I internalized hyper-independence as a trauma response to disappointments, as a trauma response to folks letting me down or folks not always giving me the things I needed when I was in a vulnerable position in space. So my, my mindset became do everything in your power, do everything possible to make sure you don't have to be dependent on anyone. Yeah. And the flip side of that is when you do all of that work, exert all of that energy, and then things start to unravel. And you realize, oh, wait, I actually can't get through any of this without other people. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's so difficult for, for me to think about um, what, what my life would be without the input of, of like the community that I've, that I've chosen and the community that's chosen me. Uh, and how much that has contributed to my well-being and my ability to navigate very difficult circumstances in my life um, and how important it is for us to actively cultivate spaces where we can be vulnerable, to practice vulnerability with each other. Um, you know, the, the more we have these discussions around how we have shifted uh, in many ways because of the influences of our capitalistic society to these uh, individualistic ways of living, the more I'm I'm tempted to be like, well, how do we just get back to like the village structure, right? Like, how can we how can we, we really actively yeah. pursue something like that such that we don't have to do things this way? Because you know, it, it when you think of all of the potential stressors and strains that are built into our society. It's like they're trying to make us sick. And this is not me being a conspiracy theorist, but you know, like I, it's, if, if you keep looking at a situation and it keeps producing like these negative outcomes, it's, it, it stands to reason that there's some purpose behind uh, creating the circumstances uh, that, that exist it just becomes more and more evident to me that we have to uh, really pursue not only like an interdependence, but uh, a vulnerability within that interdependence that we have to find safe space with each other to be honest about when we're not well, to not be afraid that people are going to, to see um, maybe some, some, some bad angles of us. Um, and, and maybe see things that uh, tell a little bit more truth than we are quite comfortable with, um, with regards to like our wellness, with regards to how we're taking care of ourselves. But what's striking is it, it, it comes to the forefront in some way. It eventually comes out. It eventually becomes clear. And so it, it just makes more sense for us to work to be honest about where we're at uh, and to be honest with each other and to 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 love each other in ways that to love each other in ways that allows us to have that level of vulnerability um 
and to to extend enough trust uh, to make that vulnerability possible. Man, absolutely <clears throat> agree. And I mean, I, I think there there are some ways in which that really hits home for me of late, um, particularly um, thinking of having dealt with uh, about with COVID. And it was one of those things that I've been so, so careful the last two plus years masking and, you know, got my vaccinations and, you know, being thoughtful of where I was and how I was moving. And I'm reminded again, right, like that the need for us to destigmatize and to release the sense of shame around what happens when we get sick, when we get ill. And, and particularly, I think about how this functions for folk who have chronic conditions, yeah. uh, stuff that like is, this is a part of your life. This is how you function and live. And so people are often treating you as your illness, as your condition. Um, but I remember, and, and particularly dealing with uh, sort of post-COVID complications, right? Like the COVID itself, I was like, okay, yeah, you know, I was tired, coughing and that kind of thing. But then it ended up triggering another condition <clears throat> that, um, <clears throat> long story short, I um, ended up with uh, this condition called rhabdomyolysis. And rhabdomyolysis basically, uh, you know, your muscle. Muscle tissue starts to break down. Uh, the protein from that breakdown ends up in your bloodstream, which then you, your kidneys have to like work overtime to try to filter that. So it can, just kind of becomes this chain effect. And as a, as a result of it too, right? Because of the muscle breakdown, my uh, like I woke up one day and like my legs and my back were just like so like tight and like painful. Like even like to the point where I didn't want to bend my legs. I didn't want to like get out of bed. Like every movement uh, was just torturous and exhausting. And so as I was managing like that and realizing, okay, something is not quite right here. Like this is not normal by any stretch. And I knew enough with respect to some of the symptoms I had to be like, okay, I'm putting these pieces together. I think this is what's going on. And then I, you know, had my doctors visit and like, you know, work, work through all of this stuff. Right. And I'm thankfully, you know, on the other side of that, but in the process of it, it really took some vulnerability for me to hit up friends and be like, Hey, so here's what's going on with me. This is serious and I'm going to be okay but right now I'm not okay. Yeah. And I'm thankful for the, the village around me, like folk who, you know, made sure like, yo, you good on food. Like you have everything you need. Like, are you, are you, are you good? And in the end, like, I was good, but if I had tried to, and I will admit there are ways in which I tried to navigate it myself and had to accept like, bruh, like you need help. And the longer you try to pretend you don't, the worse this is going to be. And there's nothing virtuous about suffering just because like pain 
and heart hurt you know can be inevitable in life but suffering does not have to be yeah yeah man um first i appreciate you sharing uh sharing that in this way and practicing uh that vulnerability in real time i think you know um it's it's a good example of what it means to rely on folks but also the the, the scary times in which we live right um you know, um, we are we are going to, for the first time, have a segment on our show, uh, and that segment we have titled "Really, Bruh." Like, really, bruh. Like, really. It's called "Really, Bruh." So, um, in in this week's "Really, Bruh," um, we're gonna talk about our 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 COVID response, man. Like. I have I have moved past the point where I am frustrated with folks because I understand that personal responsibility is not the way to get out of the situation we are in in the pandemic. I've had some conversation with conversations with friends and the theme that I am hearing from our our conversations is that covid will always be with us. And it just feels like not a stopping point for me. I I am a person who asks a lot of why, but in 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 this context, I do want us to ask, well, not only why, but what does that mean for us? Because is it sustainable for us to expect that every three to six to nine months that we're gonna have a potentially serious illness with side effects? or complications that can be particularly dangerous for us. Uh, there are a lot of studies about long COVID. I think this does get back to um, the health literacy side of things, where like if you're not seeking out the information at this point, the information is not put in front of you. It also doesn't help that our Center for Disease Control, is that what the CDC stands for? Whatever it's good. At this point, it's not doing that. So it really doesn't matter what the letters stand for. Uh, is basically operating as a, a shill for the capitalist order uh, and lessening guidelines as, I, I don't wanna get too far into that. Essentially what I'm wondering, like really, are we really gonna just say that this is, the best that we can do, this is the best that we can imagine for ourselves, that we will constantly deal with uh, worsening variants that become more and more uh, contagious, that we're just going to send our kids back to school to get sick and to bring that sickness home to the vulnerable among us, that we're going to take a chance, whether it's 5% of uh, COVID outcomes are long COVID situations or 20%. It's somewhere in that range. Uh, we're going to roll the dice every single time that we're going to have long-term disabilities associated with this. Is this really the best that we can do? Can we not think of a way to care for each other better than this? Because what strikes me is that the community care part of this seems to be lost in our response. Because if we care for each other, shouldn't we try to do the best to not get sick and not to continue to spread disease? So the thing about communal care is communal care is not based upon 
everyone contributing or giving equally. It's based upon who is able to do for others what they may not be able to do for themselves. How are people able to contribute in the best ways that they can? And what's clear to me is a lot of folk have just thrown up their hands and said, well, there's nothing we can do. But what it really means is there is nothing we are willing to do. We're not willing to inconvenience ourselves anymore. We're not willing to uh, take certain precautions because we feel like, well, I'll be okay. So never mind what happens to everyone else. And honestly, the the sort of tenor and feel of our times is very much uh, sounding like eugenics, man. Like, hey, you know, just let the weak die off. Like, if they can't, if their bodies can't resist it, then you know that sounds like a personal problem. I'm not gonna stop living my life. I'm not gonna stop doing what I do. And I just think there's a callousness to it. Man. And I feel really like I think about one of one of one of my one of my homies who I've talked to who I know is really like particularly sensitive to the ways that they have transformed and modified their life, knowing that folks just out here not caring. And how that then also changes relationships because you know, like it's it's certain folk, you know. Mm, yeah, we're not hanging like that no more because they just out here doing whatever. And once again, it's not a matter of, you know, personal responsibility is the sole metric of this. But at some point, I make personal decisions that are not just about an outcome for me. And this is, this is I think, where, where the kind of myth or illusion sets in. I'm like, Really, bro, like people really like to imagine that somehow what they do themselves has absolutely nothing to do with anyone else. And that is just not the way the natural world works. It is not like we can fool ourselves into thinking we're somehow above or beyond things because, oh, well, we're smart human beings and we're able to modify our environments. And, and I'm like, yo, all this being smart human beings and modifying stuff is why a whole lot of stuff is out of whack in this world as mm -hmm. it is. Come on. Like, so, and, and that ain't to say, you know, all, all human beings are equally responsible. No, we know, of course not. That's not the case, all right? Um, but at some point, like people, I think people have to be honest about the role that they play in collective outcomes. And some folk gotta be really honest about the outsized role that they play. Cause like, it's, man, it's, the, the problem is when you aggregate all of these personal decisions to the level of millions or billions of people, stuff gets really crazy. And all we have to do is look around, right? Like if you if you look at the community transmission maps, you actually have to seek this thing, this out. But they have looked crazy for the last two months, like where the entire... Uh, map is red and furthermore there are updated maps maps that go beyond the red and the entire map is purple um so it's 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 a mess your your point around how it changes our relationships is something man i have been i have been sitting with um with a lot of challenges because you, you know in, in in my life i have i made the decision to uh 
um, really cut back on being out and about. I don't eat inside restaurants. I'll do a patio now. I'll be outside. Um, I'm always masking in public places. Um, and that has changed my relationships. It has changed how often I get to see folks uh, and spend time with folks. The thing that has been hard for me to process is sitting with the ways that that has changed like the the frequency of interaction there was a I, I retweeted a tweet maybe two weeks ago or something like that where someone was saying like they have noticed that nobody in their life that didn't like curtail their lives the same way that this person who tweeted this chose to has ever offered to be like I'm gonna take a a, a week and shut it down so that I can come see you and spend time with you. And so in many ways, when folks have decided that they're going to be a lot more cautious, the people in their lives have chosen to not be in communion, communion with them anymore. To say that that choice means that we can no longer have the relationship that we had. And that's a very difficult thing to swallow. There's an abandonment that that sets in with that. Um, and I, I will I will say that because of the potential very dangerous consequences of having COVID, that being isolated because you choose to be more safe, kind of shows that if you decided to drop some of those precautions and be around folks more often, that it it stands to reason that if something, if you had outcomes that made it so you physically could not be present with folks, that you would be just as abandoned as you were by choosing to just be more cautious. If you lose the relationships by choosing to be more cautious, then wouldn't you lose it in the same way if you physically could no longer be in space with folks? We have to think about the implications of saying like, it's, it's, it's all up to whether I decide to roll the dice for myself, what I deem as safe enough for me, because it has effects on all of our choices. If we're gonna talk about loving each other in community, about communal care, then we can't just throw our hands up and say, this is what I'm doing and you get with it or get lost. That, because that means that we don't really care for each other. Yeah. And what I'm grateful for looking back over these past two years and change, are the ways that um, I've been fortunate to be part of communities of care, of folk who made conscious decisions and said, hey, you know what? While we were all figuring this thing out, we were like, hey, you know what? We gonna gather, meet up in the parking lot, socially distance. We're gonna, you know, make sure to see each other's faces. Yeah. We're gonna take the precautions, you know, we're gonna say, hey, you know what? Like we wanna we wanna get together and, and hang out. Like, you know what? Yeah, 
I'm a I'm a I'm a hang hang low for this week, and I'm gonna take a test and yep. make sure you know I'm taking the precautions that allow me to be comfortably in community with folk. It um, you know, and I don't I don't pretend like these things aren't challenging or taxing over time, and thinking about the ways that this sort of long and ongoing trauma and uncertainty exerts a weight and pressure on us that for many for so many of us this is unprecedented in our lifetimes and so what i'm clear about is even as i i know and acknowledge man we we got to be careful and we got to care for each other i also acknowledge yeah i get why some people are like nah i'm good i'm done yeah. i'm not i'm not doing this anymore um but I'm also clear after now coming through on the other side of my own COVID experience and complications that really like were objectively for me the sickest I've been in my life. I'm like, yeah, man, I'd rather be cautious. I'd rather be concerned. I'd rather be aware of the things I don't want to know than to not know and be out here suffering or potentially adding to the suffering of others. Amen. And so, yeah, I just, you know, my, my, my hope is that, you know, those who get it, get it. And I want us to be, to be well, not just uh, us black men, but like the communities in which we're embedded, the people that we care for, the people we call our family and our friends and our kin, and I know it's a it's a long and uncertain journey, but I know for sure it only gets harder if we try to do it ourselves. It only gets harder if we try to pretend things aren't what they are. Couldn't say it better, man. Uh, that that uh, that concludes our segment, really, bruh. Uh, we hope that they will be lighter and funnier than that one on some case, in some cases. <laughs> but sometimes it's going to be, you know, us ranting and, you know, we deserve that. And it's our podcast, so we're going to do what we want to do. Um, yeah. <laughs> that concludes this episode of Black Men Unlearning. Thanks, as always, for uh, for kicking it with us. Uh, we really appreciate your, uh, your listening. And uh, we'll catch you next time. All right, y'all. Take it easy. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Black Men Unlearning podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Black Men Unlearning and email us at blackmenunlearning at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to podcasts.